Thanks, mate. <clears throat> James. Raf. I know that we're about to do a Q&A episode, yeah. but given you regularly have a lot of cues for me about my A, attire. Yep. Just came to me. Mm. I've made a big purchase recently in the attire space. Yep. And maybe this is an age thing. I don't know what it is. You buy one of those like knitted golf caps? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't buy a, a Bryson DeChambeau Kangol. Okay. Um, I've just put in an order for some, uh, obviously everything I get is tailored, some tailored non-iron shirts. Oh, yeah. This is not one. This is actually not even tailored at all. But non-iron. What do you think about non-iron? Non-iron shirts? Mm. I don't have any particularly strong. These are just ones to wear around the office and so on. Yes, exactly. Yep. You're a man where time is money. You don't want to spend your time ironing shirts. Yeah, I also moved house and I used to live like, probably a one and a half minute walk from a dry cleaner who would iron all my shirts for me and I no longer do. So I'm required to iron for myself. And oh. so I'm now trying to solve that issue. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Solution I'm, I'm, for I'm that. kind of the same. I live, in a, I live in a dry cleaning desert. Ah. All the, every, uh, every dry cleaner around me is like 15 to 20 minute walk. This is the thing. And people like criticize those who are after the 15 minute city. Everyone should have a dry cleaner within five minutes. Yep. You Why should. isn't Clover Moore down there at the opening of a dry cleaner? To me, this is like the Yimby dream, right? 15-minute city, five-minute city. You know? mm. I forget the 15-minute city. I want to fly. But within five-minute walk of where you live, you should have a dry cleaner. Mm. You should have a supermarket. You should have a bit of green space for park. You know, somewhere, somewhere, yeah, yeah, somewhere that's course. kind of lush and nice. You should have a, um, a time zone. <laughs> yeah. Or intensity. Or Porto. Okay, yeah. Or Ogalo. Or Ogalo, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to like... Or Nando's. You know, the zoning authorities can decide. Not Nando's. No, not Nando's? Too, too pricey. El Yana? Uh, yeah, I guess an El Yana might fit, but you, no, it's got to be a Porto or Galas. You've got to have... Uh, an O at the beginning. Uh, a fast food Portuguese mm -hmm. opportunity. Yeah. PO bot, like post office. Yep, yeah, definitely post office. JB Hi-Fi. Okay. Why? I'm thinking aspirationally. Yeah. You should have a JB Hi-Fi because it's a good shop to sort of just <laughs> look pop around. Pop down to. Officeworks is actually a great pop down to store. Officeworks. You should have an Officeworks. This yeah. is, this is the when I was in Lewisham, I, was, I had an Officeworks nearby. I was there way more than you would have thought. I reckon fortnightly. I've never done that with an Officeworks, but every time I've had to go to an Officeworks, I've been like, oh, Look at all this. And you walk around, you poke around. You, you. Well, it's a supply breeds demand thing. Like you realize there are a lot of things that pop into your head. I should go and do this. But then you just, that thought then passes yep. and is never brought back. And oh, maybe it lingers back in your subconscious, causing anxiety. But when you're near an office work, a lot of those thoughts you can act on and you actually resolve it and you're a happier person because of it. Mm. So I think everyone should be within five minutes of an office works. Yeah. That's my five-minute drink, just those things. Yeah. Anything more than that, you're getting greedy. Yeah, I agree. Everyone should have that within five minutes. I'm a yimbi. Oh, a, a what, sorry? Yimbi. Yeah, it's like, yes, in your backyard. Oh, okay. And you, so not within, not within like a five-meter radius of you. No. But, but certainly there. Like there. Just, just over that boundary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's sustainable if yeah. everyone was one of those. <laughs>
Any other questions, James? <laughs> uh, would you believe there's actually plenty of them? A plethora? Uh, there's a plethora of questions that have been sent in by people in our Discord. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so they right. get priority though. So they, if if you ask a question in the Discord, it's getting answered regardless of how ridiculous it is. That's right. And believe me, some of them were absurd. But if you're like a freebie, no offense. You're getting scraps. Yeah, well, exactly. We'll you're answer hold, some of the freebies. You're holding your hand out and like, please, please help me out here. Yeah, it's going to be a tier one freebie question for you to get it. If it's a tier two, Soz. See you later. Sign up to Downround Premium today. Mm-hmm. Inflation's gone up, what, 5 6% over the last 12 months minimum? Same price. Same Downround. price. So you basically, it's we're basically lo- a 10% discount. We're losing money. Yeah. You know, we're losing money being here talking to you every day. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a list of questions from both our premium subscribers and our friends on Twitter slash X. Yes. Uh, the first one is from Spirit on Discord. Mm-hmm. Do you reckon we'll see LLM slash image moral performance stagnate or see diminishing returns for a while given more incremental improvements of late and potential issues like data poisoning? So to sort of to, to rephrase that in a way that, that might make sense to people who don't know what's going on there. We're going to start with this, are we? <laughs> Model parameters and whatnot. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Downround. No, it's no, so, a good question. Go on. That's no, a good question. Reframe so, it. So the, so the idea being that, you know, we're talking about Large language models like Chat, like uh, GPT, ChatGPT, and image generation stuff like Midjourney yeah. and Dali and things like well, that. Because it feels like we had a Cambrian explosion. That's what they say, Probably. Cambrian explosion. All of a sudden, Chat twelve G- months ago, we went from AI being a buzzword that people didn't really understand what it was to like, oh, I can ask a thing anything and it'll respond to me, or I can ask a thing to generate an image and it does. Yep, and we have seen like from that initial moment, especially on the image side. We've talked about this before, like mm-hmm. the idea that um, it was only a couple of years ago or a year ago that we saw like pretty rudimentary image generation stuff. And now Midjourney does pretty compelling imagery. Dali does pretty compelling imagery. You know, not that it's perfect and you can certainly tell most of the time that it's AI generated. Mm. It's got that stink about it. Yeah. It's certainly a lot better than what it was 12 to 18 months ago. On the GPT-4, even though it was a lot better than GPT-3, was not like radically better no. like GPT. It was like an iPhone two. five to an iPhone three. Yeah, better at reasoning, better at all the stuff, but not like mind blowing. And you already hear kind of like expectations being tempered about GPT five in the sense that it's like this is not going to absolutely blow your mind and make you think that we're going to like we're entering AGI, yeah, Skynet, Terminator sort of vibes. It's going to be like more incremental than that. Yeah, I actually I think that it's like entirely possible that. We will see like totally a slower progression from here. But like, but I do think that like the progress is going to be ongoing on a pretty consistent basis. Like, yeah. people are going to keep innovating this space. There's an absurd amount of money being pumped into it. There's obviously more of a kind of like there there than there was with some other stuff that we've been people were trying to get off the ground. It's yeah, obviously yeah. real. I mean, we said it in an early AI thing that it kind of turns out a lot of these models aren't since. They kind of worked out Transformers, which was, to be fair, only whatever it was three years ago. A lot of these models aren't significantly different. They just pumped a whole heap more data in them. They had the ability to do so because the cards that they do it and the chips they do it on got better and they were able and had more money. And so they were able to buy more and so they could just pump more data at, at them. Nothing is, I don't think, will feel the same as going from zero to ChatGPT. Yeah, yeah, at least that not was for like, a while. Not for a while. But much like the iPhone, like if you go back 10 years, what you could do with your iPhone and how often people used it and how often people opened it to, like their screen time 
was significantly lower than it is now. But over the course of 10 years from now to what AI will be doing, when, yeah, it can spit out 100,000 words, no worries, and is can be updated much more frequently. The inference is much cheaper, much like, you know, 3.5 was a huge jump going from 3 to 3.5, where it can be inputting data and making decisions in real time super quickly. That will have an impact. But yeah, I, I can't imagine another big jump. Yeah, yeah. Also, I think the core of the innovation will be GPT-4 is a really capable model that can do a lot and it's very good at certain things, but it's also very computationally expensive, like mm. absurdly. I think a lot of the innovations that we'll see over the next few years will be in like much, much smaller but still capable models, like yeah. ones that are really targeted towards doing a certain thing. So they're not going to be as flashy but they might actually be more useful in certain well, circumstances. Well, yeah, something that can run on your phone effectively. Yeah, like imagine if you could run something that is definitely not as powerful as like GPT-4. It might be more of like a GPT-3 type thing, but you don't have to be on the online to do it. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on, like Mistral is the latest release that people are super excited about. Uh, it's come out of Europe. They call it like the open AI of Europe. And it's like an 8 billion parameter model, so significantly smaller than GPT-4, mm. which is like 200 billion but is still like quite capable and can do lots of really cool stuff. So anyway, that's kind of what probably where we're heading in that regard. So yeah, incremental, definitely. Yep. But you know, it's going to slow. I mean, even when the iPhone released, it wasn't all mind explosion, insane paradigm shift, like and society changed overnight. Society changed over 10 years significantly. Yeah, pretty dramatically. So I think, yeah, that, that'll definitely play out here. Cool. Next question from... Centrally planned economy of ideas. Mm. Do you think a better way of tech investment is possible? As tech leaders like SBF get continually exposed as, quote, the type of smart that a dumb person thinks is really smart, <laughs> uh, is there a plausible way to get money away from hucksters and scammers and towards worthwhile innovation? Or is the current system mostly working while the funny failures get disproportionate media and social media attention? That's a good question. It speaks to like the situation around like basically venture capital of VC right now, mm. right? The first takeaway you should think about is that we've come out of a really like historically insane moment for like tech investment, yeah, yeah, which is sure. like zero interest rate environment, money being absolutely pumped into startups on the yeah. assumption that maybe one day a Facebook might fall out. Well, one thing with the incentives of VC that to put it on the table straight away is like, for the most part, venture capitalists, so people who invest in a small private business that they expect to grow, their exit, like their liquidity event, like the, they get their money back when that company goes public. And, or sells. Yeah, or sells or is acquired. Yeah, exactly. And like that was happening with a fervor to the point where, you know, you could be pretty confident that your, your company can either go public, especially with, you know, innovations like SPACs, or be acquired for a large amount of money in that kind of zero interest rate environment. For the most part, if you think about VCs who are putting money into like hucksters, et cetera, like most of those companies still exist. Like not that many big companies went bust. A lot of smaller ones did. However, like what the, the centrally planned economy of ideas uh, questionnaire is asking is like, so the VC, the whole model is invest in a whole bunch of businesses 
hoping that, yeah, you get the Facebook, as you said. You're supposed to spread it wide, diversify to a certain extent in a bunch of businesses because one of them could absolutely pop and that makes it up for... That makes up for... And to, and to be clear, like the definition in the venture sense and the thing that drives the whole business model of venture capital is that something popping is like a 100x return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not talking that, about like something doubling or tripling or, or 10xing. Like that's that's not a win. You, you're talking like you're talking... In the, in the perfect like venture capital model and the thing that like validates that form of investment versus anything else is a company that you can't bootstrap so you can't bring it up on its own it mm. needs too much like let's think about something like facebook like the server costs the scale mm. whatever needs that kind of large investment from like a, a per, you can't just build this in your garage alone and expect to make it work well yeah they're pre like facebook was pre pre-revenue until it had tens of millions of users so this is what venture is meant to sustain and yeah, but the idea that the output is eventually 100x. You might have like a really great concept for like, you know, I sell a particular kind of software exclusively to like companies that operate street sweepers. Mm. You know, I'm going to dominate the street sweeper market in the United States. Yeah. And it's like, that sounds great. And maybe there's a good business there, mm. but it's not going to 100x. It's no. not going to be a billion dollar company. Yeah. And as you said, like, the reason why most venture capital goes into tech is because without getting kind of too deep into it, fundamentally, these are businesses where the marginal costs, so like every new dollar, like every new customer doesn't cost you any more money. So if you're like, whatever, selling, uh, I am about to go deep, but whatever. If you're selling orange juice, obviously for everyone who, every new customer, you need to give them some orange juice and a bottle of orange juice. So the, there's a marginal cost there. Every new advert, like advertiser on Facebook, for example, there's no marginal cost for them to like go into the ad platform and like put some ads on Facebook that you're then making money off. Operational leverage. <laughs> um, but point being, that's why like, these type of businesses, it's like, okay, all of the expense from a business perspective is in building the technology. It's like building building out the business. It's a capital expense. So if I put, pump a bunch of money into developers building the platform, once it's built, theoretically, theoretically, Facebook could cut all of its expenses by like 99% and just make sure that everything stays as it is right now. Obviously not 100% true, but like, you know, theoretically, they could keep having advertisers spending money. They could even grow the amount of advertisers spending money because the marginal cost is zero. So anyway, whatever. That's the whole point of venture capital. And that's why they're like, it's tech is a place where venture capital lies because it's like, okay, these are capitally intensive businesses that need to build out their platform and their products or whatever. But once it's built, they're making huge margins on every new customer. Could the venture model work in a different way where Huxes aren't funded? I don't know if it kind of can, right? When they're going for, we need our, our companies to be world dominating. Yeah, potentially. I think, you know, but again, it comes back to the fact that I think it's slightly self-correcting in the sense that the absolute preponderance of kind of like Huxes yeah, yeah. and weirdos and freaks and your SPFs and your um, Adam Newmans and what have you. And to be clear, both of these guys kind of fit the model in the sense that they can obviously build something, yeah. you know, quote unquote, and like extreme caveats on that yeah. because what they built. Well, both of them couldn't handle the scrutiny of the public market in a way that we work, tried to go public. All of a sudden it was like, oh, there isn't a business here and no one will actually invest in this. And I mean, FTX, as soon as you had like a tiny little look at the books it was like okay this is yeah, yeah. a fraud uh, 
getting back to my initial point, what I was going to try and say is a win condition for VCs is the company going public, which is why like an Uber, which is not, it's not confirmed whether that business model actually works. It seems to be doing okay now. Yep. Okay. Compared to all of the venture capital funding it got. No, it's not going to pay back like any of the money that was invested in it. Like not for a long, 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 long time. So, but that's still a win for all of those Uber VCs, right? Like as soon as Uber went public on the public stock market, they got their money back times a hundred. Yeah. yeah. And held it. So like, I mean, my personal philosophy around investing is like, you should probably find businesses that have sustainable business models. And it's not good that we prop up these zombie companies that can't ever make money, whose entire model is focused on like using venture capital in order to like dominate a certain market so that they basically monopolize it and then just cranking both, especially in marketplace businesses, the contractors and the customers in order to like attempt to eke out a profit that is probably non-existent. Yeah, totally. That's bad. Totally. I think like, you know, to loop back to the original question, like the thing that I think perfect world that would resolve this kind of like VC thing is just like figuring out and delineating what businesses don't actually need that, don't need the infusion of a huge amount of initial capital and then have to rise to the occasion of providing that value Mm. because that's how you end up with like a guy that maybe had a smart idea and then different to a guy that is like, ruling over like a, a castle of sand, right? Like something yeah, yeah. that's not going to be a $1 billion business. Anyway. So yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, th- that's obviously true. A bunch of shit was overfunded in like zero interest rate. Absolutely. And like, I, I don't know necessarily that, you know, that problem has been entirely fixed, but it's certainly a lot of less things are getting funded right now, which I think immediately solves a lot of those problems. Yeah. Because the people that are getting funding tend to be the ones that VCs are like, you actually have a much clearer idea of how you're going to be a sustainable business. So I'm not saying the problem solved, but it's certainly not as insane as it was. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, we can follow that with a much easier easier question from the Discord from CWJ. Can I have $20? That's a no from me. That's a yes from me. <laughs> That's a yes from me. All right. Sure. If, if you want your $20, uh, CWJ, you've got to chase up. Yeah, I'll pay you 20 bucks. Sure. Absolutely. We actually have a question that we answered uh, a couple of episodes ago, which is uh, – have you constantly been getting the Idris Elba ad for gold just recently? Is this a universal experience or is my algorithm fucked? And did Elba actually do the ad? He looks AI generated. Yes, he did the ad. Yes, I have seen it many yeah, times. The World Gold Council, yes, are spending a shitload on X. Yeah, they, they want people to be aware of gold. And hopefully by now you are. <laughs> um, from Blown Magnet, at what point did playing things out loud on your phone become something every other person does and stop being profoundly antisocial. I feel like it it, it kind of depends what, where you are Mm. on certain trains, certain train lines at certain times. I feel like this has been a problem for 20 years. There was a conversation about this in the Discord and I did see your comments on that. I am with the questioner in that I feel like it has gotten worse. I expect if I'm on a train carriage, someone is going to have Something playing. Something playing. I expect that to be the case now. I, I think it's more often than not. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just like it's generational probably. I mean, yeah. you know, a lot of the entertainment people consume is like watching TikToks and stuff. They think it like it's it's pretty short forms of entertainment, watching Instagram stuff. I mean, like, you know, I'm, I'm not blaring it, but I might watch something. You'll watch something. I mean, in public walking down the street, fine. Yeah, yeah, on, yeah. A, on a train carriage? Yeah, but it's still definitely not loud in the train carriage. I don't know. I just feel, yeah, I don't know. There's the th- train carriage is antisocial. I think that's really antisocial. Just get some frigging headphones, put some headphones on, but maybe their response is, 
Well, you could also have headphones on and you wouldn't hear this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have an answer to that. Yeah, I don't know. That I, response I assume, that I came up I assume, with. I assume this is one of those problems that will probably just get worse before it gets better. So yeah, yeah. apologies for that, yeah, folks. Everyone, I, well, the other thing I wonder is how often are there like multiple people in one carriage of a train blasting out different things? Like competing kind of cacophony. Yep. I don't know. I've never heard that. Nightmare before. situation. <laughs> yeah. We actually had a we had a threefer here. Threefer. Yeah. What's that mean? As you know, twofer. No. Like two for one. Okay. You got a twofer. This is three questions. You expand it to threefer. Three you, questions in one. Well, it's three people asked about the same thing. Oh wow. Uh, which is summed up with from Milku. What are your thoughts on Ozempic? Yeah. Could it change what we expect human bodies to look like if it becomes more mainstream? Uh, and then there's a follow up from uh, Matt Cowgill, is Azempic bearish for consumer good companies generally? Yeah. And then there was a third question from Van Ice. Oh, my God. Sorry, these are all Azempic questions. Will the photo with your old big jeans post-weight loss ever make a comeback, or is it forever associated with Subway Jared? Yeah. Uh, we, we actually want to do a full Azempic episode. Yes. In the next in the next couple of months. No, we will do one. We, we will, will be oh, doing one. It's going right. to be red hot. It's going, to be the, it's going to be the hardest episode we've ever done. It's but going to be anthropological. But, but we can sort of tease it a bit and talk a little bit about... Azempic, sorry, we should clarify, if you don't know, Zempic is a weight loss drug. It's a, it's a weight loss drug. It's what's called a GLP-1 inhibitor. I mean, that, that class of drug was originally designed as like a diabetes medicine because mm. it uh, helps with blood sugar. The company that makes it is called Novo Nordisk, which is a Danish company. They are currently... I don't know if they are right now, but depending on the day, they can be the most valuable company in Europe. Mm. Like they are very, very – their stock price is sh- shooting to the moon right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, Denmark had to remove pharmaceuticals from like GDP figures because it was skewing them too It was badly. skewing them too heavily, literally because of Novo Nordisk. Yeah. What they uh, – what was essentially found is that uh, – and you've probably heard of this. All the celebrities are using it. If you use Azempic or the other brand names that it is traded under – your appetite goes away. Uh, and then now there's lots of stuff floating around in the air that it's actually good for a bunch of other sort of desire, like as a desire suppressant in yeah. general. Stops you from drinking, stops you from chewing your nails, stops you from, you know, whatever. So, you know, we, we hear a lot about wonder drugs, but this one certainly seems to have a fairly powerful affect. Yeah. Yes, it's like the, the hype moment. So, look, we'll get into... Maybe in our other episode when we get to it, the deeper stuff about what we'll expect human bodies to look like. Yeah. But I think one thing we can kind of tease a bit uh, is Matt's question about is Zempic bearish for consumer good companies generally? Because I think that's kind of interesting. It is interesting because it's shown up in a, the, yeah, a lot of quarterly re- uh, and annual reports around under risk. Yeah. it's a, a, lot, a lot of basically companies that are involved in Everyone from fast food companies to fitness companies to anyone that's vaguely involved in people eating stuff. Mm. And it shows up in quarterly earnings reports. Like supermarkets. And yeah, whatever. supermarkets, all that kind of stuff. The idea being, what if everyone got on this stuff? And yeah. that's that's not a near future thing because it's a really expensive drug mm. unless you're using it for like, you know, in a country like Australia, like it's very cheap if you're getting it for diabetes, but not if you're using it for the weight loss function. I think part of it comes down to the fact that, as someone pointed out in the Discord, which is a great point, which is just like companies just throwing shit out as like, oh, 
Here's a risk. If if you see our revenue go down, it's that. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, the fact that like investors are just aggressively asking about it. Yeah. Because it's like the hot new thing. Everyone's talking about Azampic. But like, there's something there. If there was a future world where it was dirt cheap, um, and everyone could get it, maybe then McDonald's, for example, or like Woolworths or whatever, might face people buying less because they're eating less food. Yeah, yeah. But I think it actually takes a lot to get up to that point. Uh, it takes the penetration required by Azempic for one, and yeah, then two for it to like actually eat. It. Like, cause people still eat on Azempic. Yeah. It, for it to actually have a meaningful impact, that that is a long way away. But I guess these the risks are supposed to be you're supposed to be looking long term. Yeah. There was a there was a story in the Wall Street Journal last week about literally this, which was like the idea that like Zempic's gonna have this massive impact on consumer goods, essentially, and, and food. And basically he quoted someone who described it as like the AI of companies that are in like the food and fitness space. Like they just throw it out there as something that's going to be this massive yeah. systemic impact and they never explain exactly how that, that effect is actually going to live out yeah. or how they're going to get to the point where that's going to be a problem. Yeah, it's yeah. just like one of those things where it's like, we're going to use AI to do X. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. It's like GLP-1 inhibitors are going to cause X. No one knows. No one no, has no. any fucking clear no, no. stuff. And, and to be clear, like you have to inject yourself once a week with this expensive drug currently and the side effects are like, they're not amazing. <laughs> like it's this isn't like you'll notice it. It's uncomfortable, etc. So you know we'll get into it more. In All right, we'll, we'll talk about another episode, but it's it's a fun one to dwell on. Maybe could be the wonder drug. Well, imagine another question from Milku. How is the global transition to EVs going? I've heard some of the major car manufacturers are struggling to find profitability on them. Yeah, well, supply is the is the biggest issue out of all of them. Like the companies can't keep up with demand for EVs. Demand is there for EVs. Then the issue though with EVs, I think comes down to like one, a bunch of these companies have targeted a weird segment of the market where they're going for big SUVs and like pickup trucks and whatever. And they haven't gone down market yet because a lot of these kind of more luxury things, it's easier to have higher margins for profitability. They will have problems when they go more down market and they're trying to find budget conscious purchases. There's obviously heaps of competition from China that have like there's massive amounts of um, uh, subsidies in China around like EVs. By the way, BYD, Beyond Your Dreams, or Beyond Your Dream, or Beyond Your Dreams, it's a, the name's changed multiple times. Yep. Do you know where that name came from? Because I do. I couldn't tell you. Where did it come from? So BYD, it's a backronym mm. for one. That was not originally what the company was called. The original name, and I don't remember the actual Chinese for it, was like basically the street that the factory was on, mm. which translated to like YD, but then they added a bunch of things on the on the front so that they would appear as the first booth, like sales booths or whatever, like basically the Chinese characters for like the equivalent of like AAAAA Aardvark, uh, wow. George Street car company. That doesn't, that doesn't instill me with confidence. <laughs> like that, Basically, their name was like one of those hacks to get them at the front of the line by right. like putting lots of A's at the beginning or, or using the characters, and which when translated to English was BYD, and then they just like worked out like a name afterwards, which was Beyond Your Dreams. Wow. That's where that car company comes from. And has that learning that fact changed your view in any way on the long-term viability of electric vehicles? Um, look... Owning an electric vehicle is a very big lifestyle change. Like oh, all of a sudden yeah, yeah. having to like actually 
factor in. Yeah, yeah. We're in like a really messed up sort of like transition period. Yeah. And also the fact that like electric vehicles are bound by like general car sales trends as well. Yeah. And like, you know, Tesla all of a sudden are now facing the fact that they need to like get into a, like a more profitable position by inc- like messing around with their prices. The Cybertruck is not going to be like this like incredibly attractive price that Elon Musk was talking about when mm. it was first announced. It's actually going to be a really expensive car, yeah. which you could fucking believe if you looked at it. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a budget vehicle. So there's like lots of – there's growing pains, but you're right. Like the demand is there. The te- Like the trend is obviously there. Governments are going to continue to invest a huge yeah. amount of money into like charging infrastructure and, and whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean it, the issue is that just cars are, have always been a low-margin, highly competitive business and EVs are probably at a certain point going to be a low-margin, highly competitive business. Totally. Wouldn't recommend it. Wouldn't recommend getting into it? If someone, if any man always thinking about building a new car brand, yeah. All right, great, sweet. Well, those are our questions from our from our paid subs. So I'm going to ask a few questions from our folks on the free side, the peasants, mm. you know, the people that wish they were in the Discord. Yeah, it's uh, crazy in there. It's <laughs> it smells crazy in there. <laughs> um, this one's from the Bra Dog. Mm-hmm. What's the go with San Francisco? See heaps of TikToks from right-wing sickos mm-hmm. that make it look like Mad Max. Is that facts or cap? <laughs> um, like, happen. Well, you're the person who's been most recently to SF. Yeah, I went to SF a few months ago. Oh, look, you know, as as you've sort of alluded to in the question, there's certainly like a political dimension to this and there's people that, I mean, like San Francisco has always been the target of that kind of discussion since mm-hmm. the 1960s when the hippies were there. But look, it, it's definitely gone through, based on my perception of being there, obviously it depends on where you are in San Francisco. There's lots of like very, very uh, nice places in SF, but it is in a period after COVID of like urban decline, essentially. You know, it's a pretty, it's a lot, a lot of the city is pretty rough. The city's gone through lots of ups and downs over its history. So I'm sure it'll, it'll all come out in the wash. But a lot of this does come from like tech guys who are, absolutely furious and you can say rightly or wrongly that like the center of global innovation is not like giant greek statues yeah and like flying cars and shit yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's a, a dismissive way to put it but you know what i mean it's well like, yeah i mean surprise surprise also all the technology that has been made and has all the innovations have come out of san francisco primarily key people at home on their phones and on their friggin' iPads or whatever. People are indoors. No one goes outside anymore anyway. So yeah, if you walk around the streets of any major city, like doesn't look as good. San Francisco does look pretty bad with the kind of <laughs> does seem to be a large homeless there's a, there's a, population. There's a lot of there's a lot of human misery percolating in San Francisco, which is incredibly sad to see. Um but yeah, it's become a real political football in the US. Yeah. But no one goes outside anyway, so what do they care? And why would you? Don't touch grass. That's the down around motto. Yeah. Touch carpet. Touch plastic. Exactly. Some kind of compound. Touch glass. <laughs> that's pretty good, right? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> touch glass. The touch glass movement. Go on your phone more. <laughs> yeah, look at your the screen time stat on your iPhone. It's sort of like an aspirational thing. Yeah. Let's double it. Those it's, are rookie numbers. Yeah. <laughs> touch glass, folks. How do I stay on my phone literally 24 hours a day? That's what, that, that's what you should be aspiring to. This one, this is a personal question. 
mm-hmm. that speaks to us as human beings. What's the optimal pre-record beer zone for each of you fellas? Mm. Raf was noticeably more intoxicated than usual on a recent app, mm. and it really added to the vibe. Which so, app? That's a good question. It wasn't. It wasn't dictated. So, the two beer hypothesis has been. There's a fair bit of research being done on that, or at least a fair bit of published material on that. Two beers is like the sweat. That's optimum. That's optimum. And that's not a down round thing. That's a universal. That's universal. Two beers is the optimal You're amount. feeling good. You're feeling good. Three, things start to get a little nutty. <laughs> and the, let's be honest, the down round zone is three plus. <laughs> three is at least where we want to be. We want to be there because yeah. it, it removes your inhibition. You're no longer embarrassed to make a certain mm. claim. Like at zero beers, heaven forbid, you're sort of you're in the zone where you're kind of like you're a bit reticent to express your true self. Mm. Maybe you've got like a piping hot take that you don't want to have recorded for posterity and yeah. then posted on Apple Podcasts forever. Correct. Two beers, you're feeling a little bit heated. You're ready to sort of expand your expand your universe. Yeah. Three, your lips are getting loose. Things are getting oh, a yeah. bit nutty, as you say. You could come up with a take on the spot and just spout off into the microphone and we frequently do and we, fr- and we frequently uh, but do. once you get into the four or five range which is where we're at right we're, now <laughs> currently we're in the five range look i don't want people to reframe this as like the alcohol zone <laughs> or whatever you know but this is a this is a q a episode so whatever so we're gonna be, we're gonna yes, be candid. typically down round we have lunch this is supposed to be a fun podcast like this isn't supposed to be analysis me and my mate james and you all having a chat together. How having a chat about whether um, San Francisco is like Mad Max or yeah, not. Yeah, exactly. So three is the answer to your question. <laughs> Long way of saying it, but absolutely. From Luke Wewa, Steam Deck. What's the deal there? Is mm-hmm. Valve essentially now in direct com- competition with the big three? The big three, obviously, meaning Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, or Xbox. I don't think they are. I, I think the Steam Deck is sort of a boutique niche product. It doesn't have incredibly mass appeal. Like, it's a very cool device. It's literally like Switch for a PC gamer who wants to be able to play, like, I don't know, Cyberpunk. Yeah, but, like, do they... So I don't know any of this shit. So consider me just man on the street, the voice of middle Australia, once again. The voice of mid-Australia, weighing in on the Steam Deck. So the market for this, I get that Steam has, like, a million different PC games and this device allows you to play PC games on a handheld device. But, like, surely if you're a PC gamer, you kind of want the mouse and keyboard. Or is there a whole segment of, is it more the indie game kind of thing where, like, you want to be able to play, like, these indie games and you're not, like, you're not doing I think it's pretty broad. I think it also comes down to, because Steam have also released a Valve, sorry, the makers of Steam, which, for those that don't know, it's, like, the distribution network for PC games. It's, like, the app store for PC games. They've also released, like, computers that have specific like their own gaming computer that's like got set specs and everything like that i think that that's what they kind of want because pc gaming is still kind of impenetrable to your average consumer mm. you've got to be kind of really into it you've got to think to yourself i want a game on my pc i'm not just doing it for work yeah so i need to buy something that's specced up whether it's building it or buying it off the shelf or whatever but there's a bunch of games like strategy games or whatever that basically can only have an Im- i'm i'm now riffing and asking you this as a question yeah they could basically only be done with a mouse and a keyboard or whatever, that they're saying, we want to open up the market, addressable market of people to these strategy games 
by creating a device that feels more like an Xbox or, or a well, yeah, Switch I mean, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They've got they've had a, a number of different cracks at trying to make the Steam experience more like playing an Xbox or playing a PS5. This is kind of like the same kind of thing. It's sort of like let's expand it. A, you can do it portably, and it's like a it's a well spec machine. Like it, the games look really good on it. Mm. Definitely pricier than the Switch, but it's not absolutely bank breaking. But like the amount that they're putting out, they're not manufacturing it like an absolutely massive scale. They always have shortages. Yeah, I just don't get it. Like, because it's still going to be joysticks, right? Which yeah, cuts off the games that PC gamers. You can you can plug it into a monitor and use a PC and yeah. use a, a mouse and keyboard. Although the main idea is that like it's something that you play on the couch or it's something that you play on the train or something, even though it doesn't have a huge battery life. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's to me, it's just like a boutique, boutique product. Very cool, but they're not indirect competition with Sony, Microsoft, um, Nintendo. I just all. don't see the point. I just, and maybe I'm oversimplifying the entire gaming market, but to me, it just seems like if you're a hardcore PC gamer, it's because you want to play first person shooters and strategy games that can basically only be done with the mouse and keyboard anyway. I mean, they obviously can be done on PlayStation or whatever, but then it's like, why would you have a Steam Deck if you... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just expanding the market, but yeah, I don't think it's indirect competition. It's its own little thing. So yeah, from Tom McCarthy... And this is an interesting question. How come Spotify, Apple Music, etc., haven't gone the way of Netflix and directly published music? We can't. We talked about this a little bit on our music stream episode, which was many, many months ago at this point. But it's worth relitigating, I guess. They kind of have tried that. I mean, no, they're not. They haven't acted as publishers, but they have tried to have like exclusivity deals mm-hmm. where, like, you know, you can only get a certain album on Apple Music for like an exclusivity period. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. It yeah. just, it pisses people off. Yes, it attracts subscribers for a certain period. Mm. Tidal obviously did this with like Jay-Z and Beyonce albums as well. Yeah. But it's just like, it's been we- very well established that people expect when they subscribe to Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, all music will be available on it. You yeah. can't You can't gate stuff off in any significant way unless it's like, oh, Spotify has an exclusive live album from Lord. Yeah, like yeah, maybe yeah. that's acceptable, but like a core release, you just can't do it. People just get pissed off. Well, and the amount of money I think you need to give musicians who, as we've discussed previously, make most of their money from like live and other places in order to justify it not being on a bunch of popular streaming sites is just astronomical. So, yeah, you have to be generating a whole heap of subscribers. And, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce, that was on Tidal. They, they were shareholders in Tidal. Like, so... You know, they had more incentives than than usual to gate it off. But yeah, it doesn't it's yeah. it's very hard to pay a musician enough money for them to justify a whole heap of their audience and fans not being able to listen yeah, to their music. Totally. And it's also the other side of it is like I don't think Apple or Spotify would, would be interested in getting into like the scouting and like nurturing talent phase. Like that's just doesn't seem like a waste of money or time for them. To be oh, like, yeah, doing like record deals that are exclusive to a platform. Interesting concept, but like, wow, the amount of investment <laughs> for the payoff is huge. Yeah, totally. Interesting. I'm sure they've probably countenanced the idea. Like, what if we have Apple Records? Yeah, um, but I mean, at the end of the day, how does a musician be discovered if they're locked to a certain platform? Like, the discoverability just doesn't exist Yeah, then. it doesn't, doesn't sound like a great deal. All right, we'll have two more questions. But interesting concept. I love the idea. I love the yeah, thing. Well, outside well, of the box thing. Love the hustle. Send yeah. us an email yeah. from Dan Nolan. How do you feel about the new US AI regulation? Yeah. So 
my initial reaction, I think I sent you a message on it was nothing burger, but people are flipping out a bit more than I expected. The response has been like a freak out, I think, by tech pundits. So, sorry, we should go back a step. So the US and also the G8 have uh, released guidelines around how they'll deal with AI. Yep. And the most crucially last week, or the week before, there was an executive order from Joe Biden mm. in the US that listed a whole bunch of guardrails essentially for AI development. Yeah. Um, and funny little sideline, apparently the reason that he got really head up about this or one of the reasons is you watch the new Mission Impossible movie where it has an evil AI is sort of the villain. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the... That was the thing that really pulled the trigger for him. Yeah, he'd seen Joe Biden rapping and like some AI-generated images of Biden, but then the final straw was watching Tom Cruise fight an evil AI. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And the evil AI like sunk a submarine. Yeah. And he was like... That could happen. Hot biggity damn. Got to do something about this. The principles to me seemed like exactly what a government should vaguely be thinking about yeah and a lot a lot of them are like not really intensely restrictive at all like there was the one that a lot of the people were getting really head up about it's the idea that and it's kind of funny to see this in like a u.s executive order it's like if you have essentially like an ai server farm over x amount of like x petaflops yeah they actually had some numbers in there yeah yeah, that you you have to like be essentially reporting through Mm. to a government agency and a lot of people were quite fired up about that like Mm. you know You'll get. You'll take my gun from my cold dead heads. Yeah, kind of yeah. This kind of. Vibe. But this it's like yeah, it's impossible for you to accumulate that much computing power without being on a list of some kind. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they'll figure it out that you've yeah. got that kind of capacity. It's kind of like you know, if you've got a nuke, like you have to apply it to like the government. You got to like, yeah, report it to the RTA or whatever. But yeah, and and obviously, okay, a few key points. I don't want to be too blasé about this. One, the fact that it's signed on to by OpenAI, Google, and Anthropic. You know, should be paused for the you know regulatory capture. I yeah, that's, that's people, the other big thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The, the people signing onto it basically being like, great, we've already amassed all this data. We've also we've already built all these programs. We already have this market advantage. Bringing in regulation now is good for us because we have the lawyers to, and the teams and the capital to deal with it. Whereas we're gonna, it's gonna stop startups from competing with us who don't have the resources that we do, or, or open source AI or whatever. Yeah, yeah, or open source, which is probably the number one threat realistically. Yeah, that's something to be concerned about. Two people are like losing their minds over the idea of no one knows what the hell is AI is gonna do and what's gonna become of it. What are the innovations that are gonna it's gonna lead to? What will society look like in fifteen years? Is this slippery slope going to lead to American dynamism or whatever being restricted due to the like evil government just regulating for regulation's sake? And are we going to lose all this upside while potentially China um, doesn't lose the upside or whatever? Our adversarial countries aren't restricted in the same manner. Slash open source will continue to innovate and get better, blah, blah, blah. And so other people who have access to these open source models, whereas like American companies that could lead to curing cancer and blah, 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 are being restricted by regulation in this kind of slippery slopey yep. argument, which like, to me, it just feels a bit like man shakes fist at regulation as a concept. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know either. And I feel like, you know, the argument for the other side, a lot of stuff is moving incredibly quickly. And I think a lot of stuff's going to evade regulation. Yeah. For, uh, like, there's no specific regulation really being proposed here other than like, if you are massive, you need to kind of check in with the government, which fine. And 
I get it. Like, I don't think the government currently have the skills. And that was another part of the, one of the eight principles or whatever was it, like upskilling the government to actually have the skills to regulate and understand AI and make sure that the public sector also has access to these AI tools and blah, 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 blah. However, I'm not like crazy worried that this is a slippery slope to like over-regulation of AI. I don't really think that America has particularly in the past, other than perhaps nuclear energy, really yeah, restricted yeah. like technological innovation in a way that's been detrimental to society. No, I think, you know, the US government is, is going to, does not want to be lapped by China on this stuff. So like no. that'll always be the the over the over the overwhelming. Um, they're not going to hamstring fucking Google, Apple, Microsoft, etc. Totally. All right. Final question from Pierre Pants. Do you think of Downround Pod only as a media brand, or are you a community, a way of thinking, and ultimately a lifestyle? Well, Pierre, I've got a question for you. Are you looking for work? Because we're looking for a CEO. <laughs> we need someone who is sort of. I don't know. I don't mean to presume where you've come from, no. but we need a hustler. Yeah, we need someone that's got a background in in uh, luxury lifestyles. Yeah, but not media. Crucially. Not media. No, we, no, no. We both have experience in media. We've got that. We've got that. We've nailed that out. We want someone who you know. If you let's say you were a chief operating officer at a Burberry. Yep. Or something like that. Yep. LVMH. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We want someone that can do, turn down round into what it's supposed to be, which yeah. is a luxury brand mm. for men aged 18 to 25. Yeah, yeah. A luxury experiential brand. If it's you've got very some experiential. We'd like some connections both in Riyadh and Beijing, Yeah, ideally, yep. and Shanghai. If you can tick those boxes, that would be great. Yep. Dubai? Dubai, that would be a bonus. So be more, you'd be favorable. More, you'd be looked on a bit more favorably if you had Dubai in there and the Seychelles. Seychelles, yeah, yeah. Um, so Pierre, Pierre Pants, mm-hmm. give us a call. Yeah, just send through a resume. Just keep it short. Yeah. If you're listening to this, did you know there's another world out there where you get a second episode of Down Round a week? Yep, it's called Down Round Premium. That's right. And there's no interruptions. No interruptions, no ads. Two episodes a week, including the free one you're getting right now, plus another one. Yep, seven bucks a month, not a week, a month. Downround.net. Downround.net. Instant access to the whole back catalogue as well. You've got so much to catch up on. There's so much. Get around it. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>